Casey, you were asking about sleep specifically. Um, and the first thing that comes to mind with that is, is that uh, reclining posture is one of the four postures of practice. Mm -hmm. And that uh, correct and proper practice is done in the times when most people think about I've got to get to bed, I've got to get to sleep, I've got to do this, that, and the other thing. And so in that regard, it will be, um, let us say, only partially beneficial to you for us to talk about sleep tonight because, or tonight, today uh, because uh, you don't have a really strong, firmly founded practice yet. Okay. And so what we could do instead is talk about how to correctly practice Anapanasati starting with the time that you lay down to go to sleep. <laughs> and then we'll talk about another session of Anapanasati starting with the very first instant that you wake up. Because these are two times during the day to practice Anapanasati correctly. Uh, and it's good to do it throughout the day. You see, a lot of people get the uh, idea that meditation, uh, and they get this idea from a few things that happened according to Asian versions of meditation retreats and so they see bits and pieces of a meditation retreat and they think that that's what meditation is including particular postures and particular places with particular incense and uh candles and statues and all kinds of other stuff um and including sitting for a long period of time but that is not what people that normally when I say, okay, is that what we're practicing here? You want to practice meditation so that you can sit long periods of time, like 14, 16 hours a day, day in and day out, day in and day out. Is that what you nobody says? No, that's not what I want. Okay. So we then need to practice with a different goal in mind other than sitting for long periods of time. But it is good to spend that uh, time absolutely intensely practicing correctly, but we don't need to do it all in one sitting or two sittings a day. That is really good to break this stuff up so that you are intentionally doing it for, let us say, uh, 10 minutes, six times a day. And that two times a day could be right before you go to sleep and 10 minutes right before you get out of bed after you've woken up. Okay, about the time that it takes for a snooze alarm to go off, I guess. Uh, alarm, yeah. Right, and then we could find other times throughout the day, like um, morning coffee break. Then instead of having a coffee break, you can have a pleasure break instead. <laughs> and at noon, instead of having a lunch break, you can have a happy, joyful uh, break instead. 
So this is the way that we begin to practice in the sense of setting aside and kind of a formal way of thinking in the mind for about 10 minutes to practice correctly. Rather than for long periods of time because the human's attention span is not good and after people have been sitting for a long period of time the mind will naturally wander anyway they think the longer i sit the more concentrated the mind gets and we're not even trying to concentrate the mind we're trying to get it sharp and focused and bright and capable of doing its job so this in a way is very much opposite of what people think of as concentration Because and they even talk about it in the sense of going deep into meditation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not okay. going to go deep into meditation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another way of looking at it is uh, looking at it is thinking about it in the sense of vipassana, really taking a close, deep look at what's going on in there. When in fact, what's going on in there is a bunch of garbage. <laughs> But they get very, very excellent at inspecting garbage. The professional meditators are the best garbage collectors in the world. So, what we need to do is to break up the practice to make sure that when we are practicing, we're getting the best out of it. The very best out of it, which is uh, right when we begin, when we're fresh with that strong intention that for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to pay attention to the breathing and I'm going to be paying attention to what the mind is doing to make sure that the kind of thoughts that we have are wholesome thoughts, very wholesome thoughts. This is, in fact, Anapanasati, because the breathing is the body, Kaya Nupasana, and um, the Vedana Nupasana, we will be adding very soon, but already this is uh, uh, in the intention of relaxing the body and relaxing the mind so that we can get it ready to go to sleep. And so we're intentionally getting the body ready to go to sleep uh, rather than uh, waiting around for sleep to happen while YouTube is competing with sleep, and so is the wandering mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the meditation practice then at the time of bed, when we say, okay, I'm going to go to bed, but what I'm going to do is instead of having the intention to go to sleep, we're going to have the intention to lay here with wholesome thoughts and enjoy the night. Mm-hmm. Air how long it lasts. And so we can start by laying down and, and getting all comfortable, maybe snuggled up, and then the thoughts start happening of, oh, this is so nice. No place to go and nothing to do for the next eight hours. I can just lay here and enjoy this. And really begin to take pleasure in the fact that you've let yourself lay down and relax. And so we start taking relaxing deep breaths, very similar to the kind that we're doing in Anapanasati anyway. But these are long, exhaustive breaths in the sense of just letting everything go. 
with the sense of no place to go and nothing to do. Everything is easy going. And then the mind will think about something got to do tomorrow. And you won't catch that. And throw it out. Say, never mind. I don't have to do that right now. I'm going to lay here and enjoy the night. I'm sure I'll go to work tomorrow, but right now I don't have to think about tomorrow. I don't have to work now. I don't have to do tomorrow's job tonight. And so any thoughts that take that are outside of the bed. So now we can use the bed itself as a boundary. I can think about what's in the bed. But I cannot think about my boss because the boss is not here in this bed. Okay. And so we start drawing a boundary around the kind of things and the kind of thoughts that we're going to have. But what is in the bed? Relaxation and joy and peace and satisfaction and uh, the kind of repair that would be most beneficial. That in fact, dreaming is trying to straighten out the problems of the day. Most people, what happens is their dreams will be associated with the kind of thinking they were having while they were going to sleep. But if your dream, if your thoughts are completely wholesome, completely happy, completely satisfied, then any dreaming that you have will be in that regard too. Okay. The next thing that we can talk about then is posture. Because the posture is going to affect the breathing. So when you lay down at night, normally when people lay on their backs, they restrict the breathing, especially in the part of the lungs that are in the back of the rib cage there. Uh, that's which controlled by the diaphragm muscles and other things like this. And in fact, I knew about it when it was happening but there was nothing that I could do, but then they figured it out. And that was this, right in when COVID-19 started, they were, a lot of people were dying. And the reason for that was is because they had lung problems, they couldn't breathe, and yet they were laying in the bed on their back because that's the normal uh, position for hospital beds, to crank it up, and then it's like a half sitting posture. And I says, that's what's killing these people. And guess what? They figured it out. And when they started rolling people over, they on began the to, uh, well, yes, on the stomach is almost as bad anyway, but they didn't understand that the right place is to lay on one side, that the side is the most healthy posture, because uh, if you're laying on your stomach or laying on your chest, then the lungs are compressed in front. And if you're laying on your back, then the lungs are compressed from the back. If you're laying on the side, you can breathe well. The Buddha was no idiot about all of this, you know. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. He was watching. He was take, paying attention. And that's why they talk about it as the lion's pose. And there, if you Google uh, lion pose, it will come up with literally hundreds of photos of statues all over the world. Mm. And so uh, basically, uh, most of them are stylized, 
but the real posture would be with the, the knees slightly bent with one foot hanging over the top of the other so that it becomes a very stable posture rather than a straight out rigid posture. So the knees will be slightly bent. I don't think I'm looking at the right pictures. I don't know what you're looking at, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, do you have like a link or something? I would Google uh, reclining Buddha. Okay, yeah, I think this is it. And then click on images. Yeah, I see. So, oh, it looks like he's just relaxing instead of trying to sleep, though. But is that that's it? right, just the relaxation. That in fact, uh, relaxed yes. alertness. Well, uh, if we have the head leaning over too much, it might stretch the neck. So we want to prop the head up, and there's various ways to do it. Some of those photos will show him on with a three-cornered pillow. Other photos may show uh, an image of him laying with his arm folded, and others will show him with a sangati or a piece of cloth that's folded over, and his re head is resting on that. Hmm. So, we want to start by putting the body into the pose of uh, what is called the lion's body. Now, be honest with you, dogs lay in that posture all the time. <laughs> it's kind of funny to talk about the Buddha's in the dog posture when he's known to be a lion. So, we call it lions. So, lions and dogs and all kinds, we lay on our side. As opposed to sometimes the dog lays on his back, but sometimes the dog uh, lion does too when they're scratching. But they don't normally lay on their back. Humans lay on their back. So we're going to turn it over and start laying like a lion on our side. That way we can get good breathing. So as we lay down like that, when you wake up in the morning for the first time, you want to go into that posture if you're not in it. So you begin to be mindful then of your posture throughout the night. So that you have the intention that whenever you wake up in the night that you find yourself not in the lion's posture, you get yourself back into it and you start practicing laying in the lion's posture. If you're just laying in bed and you become mindful, I'm not in the lion's posture, then you get into it. Okay, this is actually one's practice. What if you don't want to be in the lion's back? Uh, you change your attitude or something? Yeah, you can change your attitude because why would you not want to be in the lion's <laughs> posture? Why would you want to be in a posture that would constrict your breathing and keep you agitated and worried? Okay. I understand. Yeah. Okay. The answer is because right now that's the most convenient posture to watch YouTube. <laughs> yes, it might be, but you might also find a way of watching YouTube while lying on your side. Mm. If you experiment a bit. Maybe. Okay, so this is what we're talking about is mindfully getting into and staying in a reclining posture or a laying down posture that promotes healthy breathing. 
but there's also a lot of other stuff that goes with it too that uh, uh, I've seen articles that talk about blood flow and many, many other things. And that they say then that laying on one's left side is actually slightly better than laying on one's right side. But when you bring magic into it, then naturally right is better than left. So you lay only on your right side. And most of those photos you see will be of him running on his right side. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be a few showing on the left side. Mm -hmm. So okay. does it matter? Well, I just gave you the whole point was <laughs> is that on your back is unhealthy, on your stomach is unhealthy, on your side, no matter which side, is more healthy. But not left and right doesn't matter that much. But left and right doesn't matter. What matters is your attitude. Okay. Okay. And when your attitude is right, when your mind is right in that regard, then left to right doesn't matter anymore. But what does matter is, are you breathing well? And so... We uh, put the body in this posture with the intention that every time I find myself not in that posture, I'm going to remember to get into that posture. That's all it takes. It, it is such a marvelous waking up training tool. It really is an, an excellent training tool. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm going to lay like this. Is there anything about uh, when you should sleep and when you should wake up? Well, over time, you will then train even that level of the mind that manages posture throughout the night when you're sleeping. That in fact, beginning to think about this posture and getting into it means that your, your bed will not be so restless. That in fact, it's well known that sleeping in a bed with a child is like going to the stadium <laughs> or going to the, uh, uh, the amusement park, that they're flailing all over the place, okay? Well, even as adults, we're flailing a lot, changing our posture, not feeling, not finding a way of being comfortable in the night, and so we're changing our posture from time to time, looking for a, a secure, comfortable place to lay. Once you begin to train yourself that the uh, laying on one side is a comfortable, wholesome way to lay, then you will begin to sink into that subconsciously so that even when you're sleeping, the body will tend to maintain itself like that. And that would be especially true if you wake up in the night to roll over. Could we do? That, that humans think that we wake up only once, but generally we wake up about seven times, Yeah. right? So every time that you wake up just a little bit, just to wake up enough to recognize that you're rolling over, make sure that you're rolling over onto your side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, onto the right. Change your posture so that you can go from the left to the right and then from right to the left, but you don't go onto the back and you don't go onto the stomach. Mm -hmm. That would be the way to look at it, is, is that this is kind of a new mindfulness. In fact, what we're actually teaching is mindfulness of sleep, mindfully sleeping. 
when you're sleeping, you still have this mindfulness job, and that is to maintain the posture. And that's the only job you've got, is to get the body in a position so that it can breathe. And once you do that, you can be completely satisfied. Yeah, we've got that. That was so easy to do, so sure. hard to remember, and so easy to do. All you have to do is just roll over. <laughs> Should you be focusing on the breath too then? Or no? No? No, not necessarily. And yes, sure. <laughs> okay. But what we are going to be paying attention to also is how nice it feels. That this is your best feeling time is to let yourself feel really good, really relaxed, because really you've got no place to go for the next eight hours. And yet look at, on the average, how much tension people put themselves into with thoughts, I've got to go to sleep. Because the next thought will be, I've got to get to sleep because I've got a busy day tomorrow. And then the third thought is part of that busyness that I'm going to do tomorrow. And then the next thought is more busyness that I'm doing tomorrow. And here we are calling it insomnia. When all <laughs> we're doing is not thinking about what we're doing right now. We're thinking about what we've got to do tomorrow instead of enjoying tonight. I don't think that's my problem. It's more like my body will. Didn't say there was any problem. I'm going <laughs> over teaching of Anapanasati in general, using it specifically with night practice. Mm -hmm. So anyway, you're saying what is not your problem? Um, thinking about the future. It's usually uh, my body will get super tired, but my mind, not about the future, but just... Tell me then, those videos that you're watching yeah. on YouTube, Mm -hmm. Were they done in the future? No. Were they done right now? Yeah. Or were they, oh, you watching the, the videos past. that were done in the past? In the past. Just making sure that we got that straight. Yeah. Okay. You'd be surprised at how much of the thinking is in the past when we think that it's okay, when in fact it's a distraction from how good you could feel right now if you would focus on that. That we often use the videos as a distraction and what you're distracting yourself from is the fact that you can't get to sleep. And the reason you can't get to sleep is because you're distracting yourself with something else. And so instead of distracting yourself with good old whatever it is that you haven't fessed up to, now you're saying that I'm going to instead distract myself from sleeping by um, watching videos. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so instead of whatever those distracting thoughts are, we can start having thoughts about how nice things are right now, how really it is okay to relax because I got no place to go and I can really relax right into slumber. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So concentrating then, if you think about it in the sense of concentrating um, or looking at being relaxed. Mm -hmm. Everything's okay. Everything is fine. No place to go. I don't, I'm not even in a hurry to get to sleep. 
I'm just enjoying this present moment. You're not even thinking about sleep then? You're not just... even having to think about sleep. We just think about how nice it is right now. Right. Not thinking about sleep. You don't have to think about sleep. Because think if you think sleep. about sleep, you'll say, well, why do you want to go to sleep? Mm -hmm. And then you say, what? I've got work to do tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? Rat hole, that's going to take you down. <laughs> so, no, you don't have to go to sleep. You can just lay here and enjoy the night. I mean, yeah. Yeah, even take the pressure off that you've got to go to sleep. You don't have to go to sleep. You can lay here and just You're, enjoy the night. Are you saying... Um... I'm, t I'm taking it literally, but like, do you do you physically not have to go to sleep technically? No, I'm saying that let's figure out a way to do it naturally and wholesomely. Uh, that's I'm just making sure. Other than pushing ourselves into it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to relax into it, no place to go, and nothing to do, no thoughts to think, nothing happening. And so you go into that kind of easy breathing, kind of nothingness. And that takes you right into slumber. No problems. But wanting something will keep you awake. What do you want right now? You want to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and so you want to go to sleep. You can't go to sleep. And so therefore you're in a state of dissatisfaction. And so, because we want something that we can't have, and wanting something that we can't have is dukkha, we become dissatisfied, and so we don't like that, dissatis that dissatisfaction, and we try to find something to push that away, and YouTube does a marvelous job <laughs> of let's distract ourselves from the fact that we don't like the fact that we can't get <laughs> And here to think I could have been enjoying myself all along anyway. If I was practicing correctly. So this is, in fact, um, useful. Uh, even from the very beginning is to incorporate this, this right into your practice right from day one is this is our Anapanasati practice when we lay down in bed. Not lay down to go to sleep, because we're not laying down to go to sleep. We're laying down to have a party. <laughs> a slumber party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we don't have to do it in the way of, I've got work to do. We're doing it in the way of, wow, what a relief this is. Oh, wow feel so good just to lay here, no place to go, and nothing to do, and nothing to do for the next eight hours. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. And those are all wholesome thoughts, bringing us into a state of wholesome feelings, so that now we can go to sleep in a really wholesome way and get much more benefit out of our sleep than we would have if we went to sleep all in turmoil. The Buddha talks about it in the sense of burning by day and smoldering by night. 
What's the difference between burning all day and smoldering all night? A blanket. Put <laughs> <laughs> a blanket on the fire. Mm-hmm. That's all we're doing. Put a blanket on the fire and it smolders. So what we better to do would be to put that fire out. Okay. So let's change the frame of reference now from going to sleep into what are we going to do when we wake up in the morning? And that will put in another piece of the puzzle. Because normally when people wake up, they don't get up. They just wake up, but they're still in bed. Mm. So what we're going to do is we're going to start paying attention to what's that first point of consciousness? What is it like to wake up in the morning and then we're going to work on actually completely waking up enough that we can begin to, again, control our thoughts, to have happy thoughts. Like, oh, what a wonderful day this is going to be. I'm on top of the world. Everything's going to be all right. No worries today, no problems. Everything is fine. Okay, but we have to keep practicing these kind of thoughts over and over again because we have our whole lives literally been talking ourselves into feeling bad and now we're taking an intentional opportunity to talk ourselves into feeling good. And this is exactly the way that we learn to manage our feelings. We talk ourselves into feeling bad, but we do that ignorantly and we don't know what we're doing. But now we're going to consciously talk ourselves into feeling good and begin to experience the results of that. And one of the best places and times to do that is right there in the morning or whenever it is that you wake up out of slumber. When you wake up, wow, what a good morning this is. Wow, what a be- isn't it nice to be alive? Hey, I made it to another life or <laughs> to a, a night. I've made it. To, I'm, I'm alive. I'm, here I am. <laughs> isn't that marvelous? <laughs> but most people have that drudgery, oh, no, another day. Right. Oh, no, I've got to get up and I don't want to go to work and all of that kind of thoughts and feelings, Mm -hmm. which actually then the people actually manufacture their day. And that's the way that they start the manufacturing process of, oh, no, another day of drudgery and misery and work and all of that. So now we're going to intentionally change that from, oh, no, we've got another opportunity to make up. (laughs) a happy day and so we go at it from that perspective marvelous day beautiful morning everything is sunshine everything is going my way and we begin to have the thoughts that are wholesome and pure and nurturing nurturing in the sense of can do we begin to change the attitude from oh no another day I've got to put in into yippee kayo I've got another day to play. And so we take our attitude change from work to play. When we were really little kids, our attitude was play. Mm-hmm. Every little kid gets to play. What happened along <laughs> the way? When we changed our, our mentality and our world, how to play into work. And so now is our opportunity to change our world back 
into a world of play. Joyful play. Everything's all right. No worries. Things are not important enough to be a disaster, even if I screw up. But nothing matters. Everything is fun. There's no for keeps playing here because you're not going to make it out of this life alive anyway. <laughs> right? You got to cash out when you leave the casino. That's just how it is in this life. <laughs> so why not enjoy playing in the casino instead? Of, but most people in the casino are absolutely freaked out, you know, just paying that slot over and over and over again, hoping for a win. Mm -hmm. Others are there trying to uh, figure out <laughs> how they got themselves into such a bad mess because they think their casino is real. Their whole life is a casino. <laughs> and their whole life is full of bad choices. But when you recognize, yeah, life is full of bad choices, but this is a make-believe casino. I made believe it myself. I believe it, don't I? I made believe my world. <laughs> so why don't I make believe a joyful world? And what happens when you stop believing? Yeah, that's the whole point. Eventually you get to the point you stop believing anything because nothing is worth belief. In fact, when people would say, what do you believe in? I would say, I don't believe in belief. Do you believe in not believing? <laughs> no, I actually, the, 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 to twist the words around, I believe in investigation, but I don't believe in investigation. I've investigated enough to know that investigation is <laughs> the way to go and belief is off, off there someplace. That's what those, those folks do is believe. <laughs> I either don't know or do know based upon investigation. No uh, doubt. Uh, there are gaps. Absolutely. Oh, okay. But we don't shove something in that gap. We leave the gap open. Uh, I said doubt. Oh, doubt. No, no doubt. Yeah. Gaps, but no doubts. Mm -hmm. Doubts yeah. are, does this God fit into that gap? That's the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is, I'm not even going to try. I mean, if it's a gap, leave it a gap. <laughs> That in fact, living in that gap is part of the understanding of the higher fetters. And that is, is that our need to know has to get modified because there are things that no one will know. And there are huge amounts of things that other people will know that you won't ever know. The question is, can you be satisfied with what you do know? Because it works. <laughs> In other words, you've investigated it enough to know that it works. And then we don't have to worry about all of that other stuff that other people are worried about because whatever they're doing doesn't work for them. And so they're still looking for something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when yeah. you've got what you know works, mm -hmm. then that's the eradication of the doubt. And the basics is basically, um, this is in the suttas, by the way. One example of the place is in Sutta number 111 mm -hmm. on the one by one where Sariputta mentions this, that he starts with that by practicing this way, I know that there's an end to it. And then by repetitive practice, he becomes absolutely sure that he knows <laughs> that, this, that there's an end to it or that this is the right path. That we know without a shadow of a doubt 
that this is the direction to head off into. Now, what that destination is or what the future is going to bring, don't have a clue and don't care because <laughs> we know we're going in the right direction. Doesn't matter if we get enlightened or not. Well, no, that's the enlightenment itself. To not care? Uh, to be satisfied with not knowing everything. Ah, to be satisfied with what we have. To lighten up and stop carrying around all of the things that we don't actually own. <laughs> like knowledge. <laughs> Are, um, did the B Buddha believe he knew stuff? Or did he think he didn't know anything? Pardon? Did the Buddha believe that he knew stuff? Or did he not believe in knowledge? That's a very philosophical question, but... I would say that that wasn't a question that was asked in that time. And I would say even now, it's irrelevant. Because <laughs> um, in, in a way, asking the question confuses the definition of the terms. Can you elaborate? Knowing is different than knowledge. Knowing is the process of somebody knowing the knowledge. Knowing is, an, is a way of seeing or putting things together on the inside. And knowledge is more like um, learning rules or something that someone else has told you. Mommy can tell me my, the stove is hot and I'll believe her. Mm -hmm. But I don't even know what hot is yet. Knowing is an active process. Right, knowing is getting your fingers burned. <laughs> Wait, so do I know that? Do I know Pardon? right now? Do I know right now that putting my hands in the fire will burn me? Or do I have um, knowledge? Let me, well, now you know it because you more than likely have experienced it numerous times. How many times in your life have you been burned? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. In other words, many times. <laughs> many times, right? I don't remember, but maybe, yeah. Was oh. there ever a time when you put your hand in the fire and your hand wasn't burned? When you... And he you says, look at that. Right, that when you actually set fire to something and put your hand in that fire and your hand doesn't burn. Have you ever had that experience where you yeah. did not feel any sensation? You can see your flesh burning, but you... You haven't had oh, that experience, haven't? No. no. Okay. So, what that means is, is that you have had 100% positive feedback and 0% negative feedback that fire burns. <laughs> yeah. That's knowledge. Uh, that's not knowing, unless you're actually... Right. Um, I mean, that, excuse me, I got that backwards. That's not knowledge, that's knowing. That's knowing. As opposed to knowledge is, how many people have told you that fire is hot? Okay, so knowing is, if you've experience. done it, okay. Mm -hmm. Direct experience, and most knowledge is knowledge. Empirical. 
Empiricism. Empiricism, precisely. Here's an example of that that just came up recently that I really like. This is cute. Imagine <laughs> that you go to a, a flea market or someplace and you find an old table that's in really fairly poor shape because it's got a lot of scratches and the polish is off and all of that kind of stuff. But you can see that it's got real value. And so you buy it for pennies, literally, or a dollar. Mm -hmm. You take it home, and then you go and you buy a can of, of furniture wax. Yeah. Okay. Most people then, in that regard, will think, wow, that polishing that table is a lot of work. I bet I can find another polish that's easier to use. And so he goes back to the store and he buys another can of polish. And then the next day, another can of polish. And pretty soon he's got a whole table full of cans of polish and he hasn't started rubbing yet. Yeah. This is intellectual knowledge. This is the philosopher. This is your average <laughs> Buddhist book reader. <laughs> The one who has read and read and read and read and read and read and say, then why don't you write a book too? <laughs> okay. Well, you can imagine then that that whole table, if it was a Dhamma table, then it would be a whole table full of Dhamma books. Mm -hmm. All of them had been read, but mm -hmm. none of them have been rubbed in. <laughs> That's the distinction is that we've got to take that polish and start rubbing it in, Get rubbing it in because that whole that that the life of that table, its whole life has had nothing but scratches. And so we can think of that table as the mind and we've been scratching at our mind in the sense of being critical, trying to improve it. Where in fact, what it needed was nurturing. It needed rubbing instead. The mind is already clear, it just has too much stuff. Well, it's, it's fairly well scratched up. Yeah. There's some damage there. A lot of unwholesome um, uh, microchips or micro uh, uh, beings are in the table. Okay, a lot of unwholesome. No shine, no polish. Okay, so... What we need to do is to start rubbing it with wholesome thoughts. Take the take the polish, the uh, the furniture wax is the Dhamma. And start rubbing it in and rubbing it in and rubbing it in. What happens for a lot of them is they'll start rubbing it in until they can see their face in it. It shines in that spot. And then they look at themselves and they say, well, I did it. And they walk away, leaving the whole rest of the table unpolished. And then someday they'll recognize the other side of that table and then they'll call me and say, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I was good to go. I polished the mind and everything. And then I quit polishing it because I was uh, thought I had gotten someplace. So, oh, no. It needs to be continually polished, except that the more polished the table gets, then the shinier it is and the easier it is to keep it polished. Mm-hmm. But we continue to polish it. We begin. We be continue to check: Are these thoughts wholesome? Investigate. Keep investigating. Keep rubbing. Keep mm -hmm. using the right effort to throw those unwholesome thoughts out and put wholesome thoughts in. So we were talking then about how to do this 
uh, the last thing of the day and the first thing of the next day is all these wholesome thoughts about what's happening. Oh, what a beautiful morning in the uh, when we wake up in the morning and when we go to bed. Wow, I got no place to go. I can play here. Okay. And so we can sort of pep ourselves up when we wake up and then relax ourselves into a completely night of relaxation in the evening. Both of them wholesome. And so then in the other parts of the day, we're going to be doing this for another 10 minutes. Also, gladdening the mind, sparking up the mind, getting the mind going. This is step 10 of Anapanastati. I know we call it steps. It's not really a step. I like to think of it like this, that if, if it is a step, then it's not like march where the troops are marching around the parade grounds. This is much more like a waltz to where we're all over the dance floor <laughs> and we don't know where we're going to go next, but here we are just whirling around and having a ball. <laughs> okay. So the step 10 of Anapanasati or that, that twirl is that changing of the mind by gladdening of the mind, perking it up, making it intentionally bright, making it intentionally, wow, this is great. This is marvelous. Put some wow and pizzazz into your language so that you can put some wow and pizzazz into your life. Do you, um, I don't know if this would resonate with you. You know Daniel Ingram, right? Pardon? You know Daniel Ingram? Yes, he's a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you were talking with him on Guru Viking. Mm -hmm. But um, he had this idea that thoughts are magical because they come from nothing and they go back to nothing, at least in our experience. Uh, actually, the magical part is, is not the coming and the going of the thoughts. It's that mm -hmm. in, some individuals think they're important. Or that, uh, they're my, mm -hmm. or that they're my thoughts. I see. By clinging to views. Like, I am a Democrat, or I am a Republican, <laughs> or I am a uh, British citizen, or I am German, or uh, I am Christian, or any of those kind of thoughts about an I am, we get attached to it and think that the thought is good and long and lingering, where in fact the I am a Christian just pops in and pops back out again. And there's no substance to it until there's clinging going on. And when the clinging happens, then I become, and the I, the I that becomes, then becomes in, in a woeful state. In other words, uh, I am a Christian means that he now becomes Christianity that needs protection because Christianity is under danger or something. That's why we attach to it. Okay, so, so if, if we don't attach to anything, then whenever anything is in danger, we're not in danger because it's not mine. <laughs> it's not me. All right, so with that, we can begin to see that even my thoughts are not mine. They're just thoughts, just arise and pass away, many of them wholesome and unwholesome, and we're just not going to allow unwholesome thoughts. We're going to keep only wholesome thoughts. But even wholesome thoughts have no real power. That's why we have to keep rubbing and rubbing and rubbing and rubbing. 
we have to keep adding uh, and adding and adding and adding because when we add, we're only adding a drop. We're not adding on a, a whole ocean full. <laughs> so we have to keep rubbing. Thoughts are uh, insignificant. And so the magical thinking is, is that they are significant when in fact they're not. <laughs> Back to Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. <laughs> right? No, I think, therefore, I think I am. And when I'm not thinking I am, then I am not, because I'm not thinking I am. <laughs> That's actually a very common interpretation. It's mine. I thought of it. <laughs> Yes, in fact, it's so clear and obvious, isn't it, that that thought I am is not his or mine or anyone's, that those are just thoughts that don't belong to anybody. Thinking just happens. Just, it, right, it just happens, and we were trained to think in a certain style or direction or certain language or in certain ways. But that doesn't mean that we can't change. We are not bound by our old ways, our old actions, our old habits. We're not bound by them. Hindu and Christianity says that you are heirs to your karma. You are bound by your old ways. And the Buddha says, mm, not necessarily. You got some choices in there. <laughs> Lighten up, folks. It's not as dark as we thought it was. <laughs> Can I ask a somewhat advanced question? All right. Uh, am I the one? If I am is a illusion, if I am illusion, then am I the one who's changing or am I uh, creating the illusion of change, I guess? Well, First off, we have to understand that there are is several different words that we can use, and some of those words have several different meanings and usages. Mm -hmm. And one of those words is the word self, referring to me's and my's and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it has various meanings. Now, one of the things that you could say that was partially part of the reason why Buddhism was so, it and still is so misunderstood in the West is because of one word being translated wrong. And that one word is translated wrong is the word anatta. Not, not, mm -hmm. Anatta. And what that means, anatta, which means not atta. And so, in that regard, ah. Nata means ah, uh, ah. Uh, the the root that goes back to the Greek is a t m o, not a t o m. The uh. word atom a t o m actually means not divisible, not breakable, and that word came about. I understand about the time of the Buddha. So there's no way that that would be a long-standing word that was in the Pali language if it was only invented and start being used as a concept about 500 BC in Greece, okay? But there was an older word that was in great use. 
And that is the word atma, which actually gives us our word atmosphere. Atmosphere. The atmos. This is the word uh, that is used in the, the name of Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma is how it's actually broken down, is great soul or great spirit. That's so the mistranslation is, is that the word that we should be translating as anatta in the Pali is the word no soul, not no self. Because this, this is what the, is that everything is transitory, everything is temporary, and there's no permanent you, a no permanent self. You see, the Brahmins taught that there was a permanent self when uh, in order to be Brahmin, you have to have a permanent self in the sense that they said that we were born Brahmin because we were good in the past and you were not born Brahmin. Therefore, you were not as good as we are back there. <laughs> and that's how they used to justify staying in charge. Mm-hmm. Because we are Brahmin, and because we are Brahmin, we're going to maintain the Brahmin position. Because we were born Brahmin, that means that we were good enough to be Brahmin. <laughs> and the Buddha was directly against that. Yeah. That what is Brahmin is activity of the, of the mind and behavior, not your birth. So this is the whole point about rebirth and reincarnation and self and soul and all of that is is that it's all gotten mixed together in the Westerner's mind. And we need to divide things out to the sense of, yes, maybe there is a self, but it is not just temporary in the sense that when you die, the self is dead, as opposed to a soul that continues on after death. But basically, the self arises at an opportunity and then passes away upon death and then rearises at a later time so that an individual have many, many, many lifetimes of a self while the body is growing from childhood into adulthood. There will be many occasions where he is reborn into, say, one of the woeful states. So the child will go through hell states. The child will go then through greed states, being a hungry ghost, wanting things he can't have. Then the child will go through uh, doing what he's told to do and not having any choice or reward. And so many times we, through the years, we will go through these woeful states many, many times, sometimes uh, 10 or 20 times a day. We'll go into a bad feeling state. We get angry. We get frustrated. We get fearful. Uh, we resent, okay, all of these are the, the, these woeful states that we can be born into, or we can be reborn into a happy state, which is not much self to that. That in fact, this is what is called um, real anatta, is when we are finished with being reborn, not finished for all time, excuse me, we're finished in this moment. Right so, now, finished with being in those woeful states, then uh, we can come back and be in a human state again. So is every instant technically a woeful state because there's some dissatisfaction? Uh, let us say that at any mind moment, there mm-hmm. is the possibility for junk. But there's... 
most humans always have junk. Generally. We were trained to have junk. Yeah. We were taught to pick it up by our parents who picked up junk. <laughs> it's it's learned behavior, but we learned it really, really well. <laughs> and now is the time to unlearn a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But we have to unlearn it really, really well. <laughs> As much as well as we learned it, or even better. Right, as well as you learned it. In other words, we we got to rub out every scratch that we put in. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense than I thought. Okay, but we can have a great deal of joy with the rubbing. Mm -hmm. We don't have to polish the whole table before we can say, "Oh, finally, I've got something done." We can say that with every breath. Yeah, look at that. I can rub. I can rub. I can rub. I got this going now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is the way that we practice. And so we can find five or six times a day to do this for about 10 minutes. But not schedule, just. Well, you can. In fact, if you it, that would be in the beginning, a very good thing to do is to sit down and say, when I wake up in the morning, when I go to sleep at night, at uh, when I'm driving to work in the morning, when lunch break, at tea time, you know, like that kind of thing. You can make up your own calendar. And then uh, if you don't want to do it, you change your attitude so that you do. Right. If that's the whole point. When you say, I don't want to do it, that means that you're saying that you don't want to feel good right now. You want to feel bad instead. Okay, yeah. So, and then you begin to start it right then. That's doing it is, is uh, beginning to make that investigation. You really want to go off and feel bad when you can sit here and be joyful? <laughs> yeah, I see. And start that investigation. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, let's leave that then, and I'll go talk to some other people. And that gives you a way of thinking about how you're going to sleep at night. You're <laughs> going to sleep at night all the way that you wake up all day. <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> so when you go to sleep at night, wakey, wakey. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you later this thank has you. been very enjoyable i enjoy me too thank you okay bye-bye